Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, Channel Pros. Welcome to the Channel Journeys podcast. Thank you for listening. It's great to have you as my audience. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show, and otherwise, welcome back. This is Rob Spee, your host of Channel Journeys. Two weeks ago, I kicked off the show with my five must-haves for channel success. If you haven't heard that one, go back and take a listen. But this week, I have my first guest, my first live guest of 2020, Very pleased to introduce a channel professional. He's a channel advocate, an analyst, an expert, a man who really needs no introduction in the channel because he is very well known, Mr. Jay McBain. You know, I picked Jay as my first guest of 2020 because I knew that he would have some really valuable insights as to what we can expect this year in the channel. What's coming? What are trends that we need to be aware of that could impact our business and how we have to set up our plans and strategy for the year? Well, Jay did not disappoint. In fact, he even exceeded my expectations. He was very well prepared for this show, and we had a great conversation. So I'm very excited to welcome back the principal analyst of channels and partnerships at Forrester and a world traveler, Jay McBain. Are you guys ready? Let's go. Hey, Jay, good morning. Welcome back to Channel Journeys. Thank you so much. Really pleased to be here. Pleased to have you on the show. My first guest for 2020. Happy New Year. Yeah, hindsight is 2020, I guess they say. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. We'll be using that all year, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Hindsight po- Podcast. All right, fantastic. Well, my show last, well, two weeks ago, I mentioned that you were my top podcast for 2019, my first year of podcasting, and you're still in that top ranking. So now let's see if you can beat your own record. We'll see if this podcast generates even more plays than your first one. Of course, that first one has a year on you, so you got a a big target to hit. Yeah, I was excited last year, and you and I both came together, collaborated, and built the list of top 64 podcasts in the world for channel professionals. And I'll tell you that that went viral on the Forrester site. As you know, more and more people are picking up podcasts as they drive to work, as they run on the treadmill, as they walk their dog, you know, as podcasts are starting to shift into Alexa and Google Home, you know, people while they cook, while they do stuff around the house, it's amazing the the pickup on podcasts and just exciting to see the growth of the platform overall. It is. And you know, when you listen to podcasters, guys that have been doing this for five or ten years, they say we're we're still in the it's infancy, that it's really yet to totally take off. Yeah, I think a big part of it was a technology one is, you know, a few years ago, you had to figure out on your smartphone and, and download them and, and really have a a system that you built for yourself to listen to podcasts. But now they're, they're pervasive, you know, cars, every car now is made with either Apple CarPlay or Google Android built in. And, you know, you've got access, whether you're at home, whether you're at work, whether you're in the car, out and about on your smartphone. I mean, it's just everywhere. And, and having it ubiquitous, people like this format. It's, it's a format that you can pick up and go anytime. It is. It's, it's really awesome. And, and it was amazing when you and I chatted about doing that list and 
at the time I had put together my own list and I had maybe a dozen channel podcasts. And then I, you started adding to it. And next thing I know, you've got over 60 podcasts. It's incredible how many are out there. And, and maybe we'll end the year with a hundred channel podcasts. I hope so. Yeah. Well, I went and asked, uh, you know, my friends, I went out to LinkedIn. I went out to Facebook. I went out to Twitter, went out to all the channel communities that, that are out there. And, you know, said that, you know, for those that listen to podcasts and, you know, it's the majority now of people that listen, uh, you know, some people dial into security podcasts and some people are dialing into business building podcasts, you know, those one or two tips that you can pick up, you know, per week to help your MSP. Some people are looking into futures and, you know, where's everything going and what new practices should I be building? Some of the channel leaders on the vendor side, you know, how do I tweak my programs and what's all this buzz about ecosystems? And that's why we, on the list, we tried to categorize them into basically not only the audience, but, you know, really the topic. And you could really spread your, your listening and, and get a, a little bit of a sampling of, of everything in your week. Yeah, I think you have to, too, because you find, you know, we all have different tastes, just like food and some formats we like better than others. Some hosts we, we like better than others. You just got to find the ones that fit and get a smattering of different topics to, to listen to. Absolutely. So earlier, a couple episodes ago, I interviewed Tiffany Bova. And one of the last things she asked the audience at the very end is, what will the channel look like three to five years out? And that's, that's a long ways out as fast as technology is going. But I thought, well... To answer that question, I'm going to turn to Jay because Jay's always got an eye towards the future. And you and I chatted about doing a podcast on on what's coming. What do you see coming in the channel? And we don't have to go three years out. Let's just look at 2020 and what you think is coming in the channel because we're all building out our channel strategies and trying to adjust and would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. So six hours ago at about four in the morning, I published my 2020 predictions. And I will say that I have very, very high regards for Tiffany for a couple of reasons. One is that I look at super connectors around the world. I look at the 150 events that the channel has and who keynotes. I look at the 54 magazines and who they're buzzing about. You know, the 64 podcasts we just talked about, the 24 associations and all the vendor communities and distributor communities. But out of that, I pull out 5,000 people that are influencing the channel. And then I do a stacked rank list and I score them on each of their activities and their visibility. And Tiffany is always ranked really, really high. And she's actually the reason I'm an analyst for Forrester. She was an analyst at Gartner. The time that I was moving away from my software company, my previous position, you know, I looked at Gartner and, and talked to Gartner. I talked to Forrester. I talked to Serious Decisions and you know, at that time, all three, including Tiffany, had moved on, to, uh, ended up choosing Forrester for a bunch of reasons. But she is absolutely the reason that I'm an analyst. Oh, that's cool. Does she know that? I think I've told her that. <laughs> if not, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll repeat it again. And now I have. Well, that's right. Now she does. Yeah. All right. Cool. So you released 4AM, what you see coming for the channel. So this is hot off the press. Let's talk about it. You want to just kick it off with your number one? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we're 38 years into the technology channel. You know, I date it back to August the 12th, 1981, with the release of the original IBM PC. It was about a year later that, you know, IBM really started to build that channel network, almost like a retail network, given, you know, a couple of partners, geographic fenced locations around the world. And then, you know, later on, a few years, Compaq came in and basically signed up everyone that, you know, could fog a mirror, which created the channel we have today. You know, Microsoft ended up having 400,000 of those. 
And you know, today there's roughly about 600,000 uh, channel partners. If you look at the global technology spend, which sits around $3.5 trillion, 64% of that goes indirectly. So I've got it broken down in 26 different categories from you know, PCs to security software to SaaS to cloud infrastructure, and, you know, every category you can think of. But it, the net total is $2.26 trillion that flows through the channel. Wow. Was that 600,000 partners globally, Jay? That is. That's a global number. In North America, there's 162,000. But, you know, last time we talked, we talked about shadow channels and basically everybody's becoming a technology company and, you know, companies are flooding in. 81% of accounting firms and CPA firms are becoming technology services, 78% of digital agencies. Basically, every industry has a flood of consultants and, and different firms, services firms that are flooding into technology. So we actually have millions of companies on top of the 600,000 core partners. One of the big predictions for 2020, again, the first time in 38 years, is that the amount of revenue, the percentage that goes indirect, has plateaued in 2019, and it's going to start to shrink. We're seeing you know, several indicators, you know, forward-looking indicators. First of all, it starts with the buyer. You know, now buyers, 73% of them are getting more familiar and actually are, are finding that marketplaces are very convenient. And some of these marketplaces are indirect channels like Amazon and Alibaba. But we're seeing a surge, and I'm predicting about 20 winning technology marketplaces run by vendors. You know, you've seen a lot of movements, for example, by Salesforce and AWS and Microsoft. You see traditional vendors like IBM and Oracle and SAP. You see all kinds of cloud vendors and, and SaaS vendors. So we're seeing a world where a lot of the actual transactional part of the channel will start to shift online and you know shift in many cases to direct as this happens. So you know the first trend really is this idea that for the first time ever, you know indirect sales, which in, I mentioned is 64% of technology, but it's 75% of world trade. If you look at every industry, we're going to start to see that come down and it's not going to fall off a cliff. We're talking a one or 2% decline per year. But over the next decade, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a smaller market and there's going to be a less focus on the actual transaction, which means for channel professionals, you know, a lesser focus on the actual resell part of the program. So that's kind of one of the major themes. If Jay, if, if we can stop on that one just a sec. So just dive in a little bit. So less focus on resale. So vendors are, as their new vendors are coming on the scene, as they're building partner programs, there may or may not even be a resale component to that. And existing partner programs might be shifting away from resale. Yeah. So a couple of things that we saw in 2019, I'll give a couple of examples. You know, Microsoft came out in 2019 and said that they're recruiting 7,500 new partners a month. What they didn't report as part of that number is 80% of those new partners are non-transacting partners. So what are they? Are they referral partners? Are they delivery service partners? Or are they a blend? I've kind of broken it up into three. I call it the trifurcation of the channel. Okay. So when you're looking at the channel, you're going to have an influencer channel, which is basically a channel that works with the buyer, with the customer up until the point of transaction. So we know that there's some you know, big changes afoot with the buyer. 68% of their time is now spent digitally before ever speaking with a salesperson, either at your company or a partner company. 
and an astounding 71% of them are reaching vendor selection after they finish that digital journey. In other words, they're actually choosing the vendor before ever talking to anyone. And that's surprising because for vendors and for brands, it's, it's scary to know that you may lose a deal without ever knowing there was a deal. <laughs> that's it right. may never hit your top of funnel. Yeah. So we're seeing this surge of influencer channels and they, they go by the names of affinity partners, referral agents, affiliates, advocates, ambassadors, alliances, all of those people. This is the Kim Kardashian of the channel. These are people that are in there early that are very good at you know digital marketing and they're writing the eBooks and the white papers. They're recording the webinars and the podcast. They're doing the things that are influencing the buyers very early in the journey and understanding who on average five of those people are during that early part of your buyer's journey and thinking of those five people in the room as an influencer channel. They're not gold, silver, bronze partners. They're probably not going to be the one that actually does the transaction, but they're highly influential in terms of you, first of all, showing up and being at the table. And second, getting to that 71% of vendor selection, being that chosen few. Right. So that's number one, the trifurcation, the influencer channel. Obviously, after vendor selection, you do have a transactional channel. It doesn't go away. You've got obviously partners out there that do take the customer's money, do put together, you know, complex solutions and, you know, highly considered solutions, if if you think of it that way, and actually deliver on them. Right. The solution providers. Yeah. So it's the resellers in a lot of cases, the managed service providers you've got and the agents, you've got to, you know, continually tweak your, your data management, your automation insights look at your onboarding incentives, co-selling, co-marketing, you've got to, you know, really be best in class. And, you know, that'll determine the winners and losers in that space. But that's the one we know. And it's built around that pyramid scheme, the precious metal, gold, silver, bronze programs that have been around forever. And that's probably the best understood channel, which is the part. So Jay, my last podcast, I advocate why you got to dump those metallic programs. Yeah, it's, you know, you don't dump them, but I would say you put them on cruise control. I pulled a couple of, you know, senior channel chiefs at, you know, some of the biggest technology companies in the world. Basically take, look at your team, take the B players, put them on the precious metal program, take your A players and focus them, number one, on the influencer channel and number two on the third part of the trifurcating channel, which is I call the retention channel. So every company in every industry is really becoming a tech company, but they're converting to subscription. You're starting to see every part of your life, every industry converting into this 30-day recurring revenue type of subscription models. What that ends up happening is the customer journey now never ends. So the question companies are asking themselves, like a lot of focus on customer experience and a lot of focus on what this customer journey looks like that doesn't end, but who are those partners after the point of transaction that helps you with adoption of your product? Who helps you with you know, the customer support, the customer service, the customer success? Who integrates your products with other products? Who implements the solution? Who are the long-term advisors and consultants and professional services firms? Who, are, who is that channel that after the point of transaction helps you retain and renew the customer every 30 days forever? helps you upsell and cross-sell that customer 
on new products and new extensions, you know, each time that trigger is pulled. So that retention channel may look like, you know, consultants or integrators, system integrators. It could look like adjacent software companies, ISVs. They could be accountants. They could be digital agencies. But in that world where your product's already there, and now you've got to keep it, you've got to make it sticky. You've got to, you know, ensure that it continually, you know, gets sold and upsold and resold and retained. That's a channel that is probably different than your transactional channel you have today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In some cases, managed services providers fit very well into that retention channel as well, because they're servicing that, you know, each and every day for the life of the product. Right, right. Okay, so interesting. Number one is indirect sales are going to shrink. Some of that's going to shift to direct sales. And then you said some of it's going to shift to the marketplaces. Yeah. So the second, you know, real trend is this marketplace, which, you know, we think 17% of B2B spend will go there in, in, in three years. That's a $13 trillion number. So, I mean, this is a big movement of dollars. And then third is really this reaction by channel leaders to look at a trifurcating channel with influencers, transactional partners, and then retention type partners. And having a singular channel program that serves an ecosystem of partners that may or may not be transacting partners. This, what you're describing is, is really what we've been working on at OutSystems is in making some improvements to our partner program. And we're going to be launching this in the coming months. And that's exactly what we're looking at, these different partner types and trying not to squeeze everybody into the same three tiers of the program, but really recognizing these different partner types. And sometimes one partner may fill all three partner types, but a lot of times they're, they're different sets of partners and letting them act the way they want to act, you know, based on their business model and how they can best serve the customer with our solution. Yeah, there's a couple interesting outputs here. One is that the channel program, at least the starting of the channel program, from a strategy perspective, is a Venn diagram. It is a bunch of overlapping circles. Like you said, there could be one partner that you know fits in the middle of three circles that are overlapping. Uh, but to another customer, you know, for example, I'll go and visit a division of Microsoft. And in their case, there'll be 12 overlapping circles of different partner types that cover those three parts of the bifurcating you know, channel. So when you look at those you know, 12 overlapping circles, first of all, you size them, then you rank them in terms of, you know, ease of recruitment, and obviously, some of the financials in terms of profitability and other types of things. And, you know, you're not going to do 12 things at once. So for example, if one of those circle is the MSP channel, you know, the next conversation is what do they read? Where do they go? Who do they follow? You quickly find out there's 31 communities that influence MSPs globally. And here are the plays. Here are the hundred super connectors that I publish. Here are all the you know the magazines and the associations and everything else that becomes. And, and you basically look at hiring a mini channel chief, which is more like a community manager, to go and win in MSPs. As you look to regional system integrators, for example, it's a completely different set of partners, different set of media and shows and different community altogether. So you may hire another mini channel chief over there who becomes your RSI chief. And they're a community manager and they go and make sure that they meet the top 100 super connectors in that space. And that's how you address this 
And basically, channel professionals are now becoming ecosystem professionals, which is the fourth major trend. I'd love that idea, though, what you just described. So Microsoft has 12 different partner types. We've identified five. But the idea of having that mini channel chief for community program manager, and we could start when you're starting off, maybe it's a global role, and then you get into a geo role as you expand. But that's a really cool concept. I don't have you seen many companies execute on that yet? We've seen quite a few in, in 2019. I say we're very much at the early adopter stage, but I think in 2020, we start to get the early majority. When you look at your staff, you look at your channel account managers and have you spread them out and you have your national partners that is you know, one-on-one coverage. You have your large regional partners, which ha- you, know, you might have 10 or 20 partners to one cam. You have your SMB cams, which might even have upwards of 100 partners or more. But that's a traditional sales coverage model. What companies are looking at is within that, there is a better return on invested capital to take a very outgoing, extroverted cam, somebody that's comfortable getting on this podcast, comfortable doing a webinar, getting on stage and doing a keynote, comfortable going to the hotel lobby bar at night, meeting up with 100, you know, 100 super connectors and becoming one of those super connectors. You mean a, a, if you can find another Jay McBain is what you're saying? Well, it's not exactly me, but I do publish a hundred people that do this really, really well. Yeah. And this is the type of thing where if you send them into that circle, if you send them into that bubble with the instructions on how to map out the what they read and where they go and who they follow and instructions in terms of how to you know score your own and rank your own list of hundred super connectors. For your company and your particular product and the channel you're looking to recruit, that community manager is going to drive millions or maybe tens of millions of more dollars than doing the traditional CAM coverage route. Interesting. And that's a great new career path for your CAMs that you picked ones who fit that mold of what you're describing. And now they have a step up, which even could be then that that leads to a channel chief role. It it definitely does. And, you know, I say with these mini channel chiefs, there's a couple of rules. One is you don't want to have anyone that's at a manager or director level that has any direct reports because it does, does take some significant travel. You know, last year on my list of top 100 people, Rob Ray came number one. He traveled over 300 days. That's how he gained the visibility to be the most visible person in the MSP community, for example, globally. He's a maniac. I had him on the show. Just super impressive what he's doing. And, you know, he is on a first name basis with, you know, 50,000 MSPs. And that is, that's, it's impressive. And, you know, what you want is kind of a mini Rob Ray. (laughs) You kind of want somebody (laughs) that doesn't have a lot of responsibilities internally because you want 80% of their time external. Yeah. And you don't want direct reports. You don't want a lot of things like internal meetings getting in their way of actually doing the community work that's necessary to make your company, your brand, you know, one of the top 10 in terms of visibility. Very cool. I love it. Okay. So that's number four. What's next? Uh, we can run through the you know next ones quickly, but you know, 2019 saw a big change in emerging tech, which means it's not emerging anymore. You know, we're seeing some categories like AI and automation, obviously 5G coming in in 2020, IoT. These are now becoming multi-million dollar revenue streams for partners. So it's not just one of these emerging, let's think about it in our, you know, big picture thinking. It's actually at the practice development, skill development role 
you know, I look at one of the fastest growing sub industries in the world. Actually, the fastest growing is RPA or robotic process automation. You know, UiPath grew 5,614% last year to become the fastest growing software company ever to 100 million. It was Microsoft, got replaced by Salesforce. It got replaced by Slack. Now the fastest growing company ever is UiPath. And it's an AI robotic process automation company, which nothing to do with robots. It's all software workflow. But that just tells you that automation and AI, IoT, a bunch of these different technologies are becoming real. They're becoming part of digital transformation at the customer level. And you know partners are being very successful, both revenue and profit wise in, in terms of jumping on top of here. So this will be the year that, you know, again, we go from early adopter to early majority. And most of my trends are all on that, you know, when does that tip? When when is that point that we get into that mode that we'll look back 10 years from now and go, yeah, that was the year. I had Janet Shines on the show, you know Janet very well, and she likes to kid about digital transformation. And I'm trying to remember how she puts it. You you may recall that you know it's it's not transformation anymore. It's here. You know we're we're already there. It's not like we're in the midst of the transformation. It's already here. Yeah, and by the way, she came number two on my list behind Rob. <laughs> oh, no. Well, in, she's not going to be happy about that. She she was voted top channel influencer. Yeah, her first call I think was to Rob that basically threatened that his days at, at the top are, are numbered. <laughs> and I think her second call was to me reiterating that same message. So yeah, she's she's absolutely amazing, a rock star. And I listen and, and follow a lot of her leadership in this area. But yeah, I mean, every company in every industry is going through an end of company, you know, crisis. And even the companies at the top, you know, the Apples and Googles and Facebooks of the world that, you know, get so much press and Amazon and stuff. I mean, it's not a foregone conclusion for them that 10 years from now and a couple of misses on the technology crank that they could be bankrupt. And it doesn't matter if you make forklifts, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you know, you're facing a crisis and you're forced into this digital transformation. It's not one that's any way voluntary to go through. So that's what we're watching closely. You know, we're watching new companies, both emerging as well as even channel tech companies, which I follow very closely. You know, I'm watching this ecosystem space. I published the channel software tech stack, which last year had 106 companies. This year, I think I'll have 140 or so. The biggest growing, you know, category, a new category is this ecosystem software. It's not just a PRM anymore that you manage transactional partners. You have to manage these alliances and affinity partners and affiliates and all the other ones I mentioned, these transacting and non-transacting partners. But all of them, regardless of business model, regardless of type, you still have to find them and recruit them and educate and train and certify and onboard. You have to incent and motivate and drive loyalty. You have to co-sell and co-market with them and manage and measure and report on all of that. I mean, there's 90 different parts to running a, a channel. And to do that across all of these Venn diagrams and all, all these circles takes a new class of software. And that's one of my trends as well as we're seeing... I saw five or six companies emerge in 2019. They're basically calling themselves ecosystem management. Well, that's a really important space. I, I'm feeling that pain myself, you know, as, as we're growing and expanding our program to these different partner types. So these were these brand new entrants or were these previous prior PRM companies that are transforming? 
One of them I listed was is Impartner, who acquired an alliance and referral management company called Amplifinity. Yep. You know, one of them was in the incentive space, Loyalty Works merged with Incentive Solutions. You know, C and B to C and B to B come back together. Yep. We saw, you know, 360 Insights acquire MTC Performance, E2 Open acquired Veritech. But some of them are pure technology plays. Impact, which comes out of the B2C world. You know, think of Kim Kardashian and attribution in marketing. This is what they're experts in. And they raised $75 million last year on the idea that B2B is going to be the same thing. And it's not going to be Kim Kardashian, but maybe it's Rob Ray or Janet Shines. And how do you attribute their level of influence and maybe their endorsement of you out in the marketplace. And that's the technology that they're bringing to, to the B2B market, which is exciting. Workspan, who came out of the alliance world, are basically you know, converting into ecosystem, understanding that you know, you're, there's going to be all kinds of partners. And it isn't anchored on the actual resale transaction. Mm-hmm, right. Crossbeam, who's thinking about AI and data in a completely different way in a world that's in an ecosystem where you're not going to have data sharing and you may have to set up, you know, different types of, you know, systems to, to be able to share sales data and to be able to action it. And, you know, AppyDeck, Startups, Tidwit, P2P Global. I mean, there's all kinds of companies now that are in taking advantage of this kind of ecosystem, multi-Venn diagram circle world. It's most exciting for me to watch as this grows up on my tech stack. Excellent. I'm going to have to check those out. I had Crossbeam's CEO, Bob Moore, on the show early on. I met him at a SaaS event. Fascinating technology. I've got to check out these others. I may want to get their CEOs on the show as well and, and share what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of other trends, you know, partner experience is becoming a big thing. In 2019, it was interesting where 43% of basically marketing and business leaders think CX is a top priority, but almost the same, 39% thought PX, partner experience, is also a top priority. So they're starting to to converge. And I think in 2020, both of them are going to come together and they're both going to be north of 50%. So they're understanding, again, this trifurcating channel, right from that customer doing their first Google search, which 81% of them start that way, to the point of transaction, to the point of renewals, right through that entire customer journey and mapping your partner journey and the partner experience throughout that entire scope as well will become critical for running your channel program. Do you think that's a new role, Jay? Because you know, we're everybody who's working in the channel. You, you know, we're just flat out with so many things to do. How do you have f- time to focus on partner experience? Do, do we need someone new in that role, or who do you think ought to be overseeing that? Well, I think you know one of the, my final trends and predictions for the year is that the channel, you know, is reaching this third stage which I believe will get less siloed. 80% of the 10,000 vendors that I have a window into still run as a silo. Underneath the channel chief has channel marketing, channel sales, channel operations, channel finance. And it doesn't make sense. The CRO needs to take over channel sales and channel marketing and blend it. Because of these three parts of the buying journey and these three trifurcating parts of the channel, it has to be under the CRO. And the channel DNA, the culture has to be within the organization itself. 
you know, a lot of companies are hiring customer experience and customer success leaders at the C-level. Partner success and partner experience have to be, and partner obsession has to be in the organization, not out in some silo run, you know, over there. It was okay maybe when your channel was just a transactional channel, a go-to-market or a route-to-market, but it's not okay anymore when it's part of the fabric. That ecosystem is a part of a fabric of your customer. The silos have to fall, and we're starting to see the early adoption stage move into early majority in terms of where C-level and board member, board-level executives are, are starting to talk this talk. Are there any companies that have executed on this where the CRO is taking the channel reins that you can talk to? There are a few. In the larger channel space, you're you're starting to see some even the big companies like the Googles and AWSs and even Microsoft, where the channel organization plays a really important role in terms of driving the program and driving the, the, the partner experience and the coverage and everything else. But actually the sales and marketing roles, like at a Microsoft, which does 96% of their business indirect, it's just part of the culture. It's part of the fabric of every product as it's developed from scratch is developed with a channel in mind. And that's how I gauge, you know, channel maturity is, you know, in the parts of the company that aren't underneath the channel chief, are they developing their products and their financial systems and their operations? Are all these things maturing and and evolving with the channel in mind? Or is it an afterthought? Yeah. Are you developing pricing with the channel in mind or your your new hire training or your field kickoffs and all of that? Where, where is, are you bolting on channel as an afterthought? Yeah. I always ask the question, like, when do you invite the channel into the conversation? When does that meeting happen? And wherever that meeting is on that timescale is basically your channel maturity. And, and you know, we think that that's going to change pretty significantly in 2020. Well, I hope so. I hope you're right. And it certainly needs to. Well, those are some excellent conversation points. I love what we talk about and a lot for our listeners to think about from the the trifurcation that you talked about, the new trifecta of partners that we need to include in our ecosystem, the software, the automation to handle that, the community managers. Those are just some great points. So I'll put a link to your post. I'm sure people will see it on LinkedIn too, of all these things that you're describing. So Jay, thank you so much for for sharing that with us. Yeah, it's always great. And we should make this a tradition, start off each new year and look ahead. Absolutely. I am game. Definitely. So what's on your calendar ahead? Are you going to continue that that same crazy pace of your own travel that you've been doing? Actually, interesting. I, I talk to my wife quite often about this, probably every day. But last year, I traveled 47 nights. And for most people that follow me on social media would think I traveled 247 nights. I was going to say, yeah, you, it does appear that you are away from home a lot more than 47 nights. And that's, those are business nights away from my family. So every yep. night I'll take my family to an event or in the case of a crazy trip last year to Australia, I took the family to 15 different countries in 21 days on the way to the speech. So <laughs> on the days away from the family, you know, in 2019, it was 47. In 2018, it was 47. And I worked half a year with Forrester in 2017, and it was about 27 or 28, so about half. Mm-hmm. So that's my goal, is to keep that number under 50 and to make the times that I do you know, stay in a hotel count. That's, that's impressive that you are able to, to do as much as you do with what appears to be that little of travel or that many nights away, not away from home. That's fantastic. 
and I know family is really important to you. So you're, you're demonstrating that and still accomplishing great things in the channel. So I think everybody knows what you do, but you're a principal analyst for channels and partnerships at Forrester. Besides traveling and speaking, what other types of things do you do? Being a Canadian by birth, I play hockey two to three times a week. And I, and I know you as well, but uh, we're active boaters and we've put thousands and thousands of miles on the water, going to almost every major city on the East Coast by water. And love to do that. Love to spend a lot of time with the kids. I think we were just at Disney a couple of days ago and we went to a safari yesterday and it seems like every day, you know, we're doing something with the kids. So yeah, very busy life outside of uh, channels. That's fantastic. The boating, are you taking your own boat up and down the East Coast? Or you, do you like to charter where you, when you travel? No, actually, um, you know, I kind of got that two-foot-itis, which most boaters do. Yep. I ended up at 40 feet when I was up in New York. And what I found out is, you know, a powerboat of that size takes about $5 per mile. Oh, yeah, it's expensive. Mile, it's expensive quickly. And we were up in upstate New York where, you know, 10 miles away, which is still an expensive day, became kind of boring up on the Hudson River. Mm-hmm. We downsized to a trailerable 24-foot cruiser. Still gives us a couple of beds and a bathroom and things like that. But what I would do is drive it because limited time, I would drive it a couple of hundred miles, you know, to say Delaware, drop in the water. I just look on Google Maps and zoom in, try to find a boat, you know, ramp and just go and drop it in the water, drive, you know, 120 miles up the Potomac to Washington, D.C., spend July the 4th and fireworks a couple days on the boat, come back 120 miles, put it on the trailer, come home. And a you know weekend away, and that's how we kind of did Boston and New York and Philadelphia and Baltimore, and you know we just we're doing this down in Florida now. You know these are the you know kind of ways that you can do it in limited time and and make a lot of miles. That's awesome. You know I, I'm more into sailing than power boating, and there I read a lot about trailer sailors, and they do the same thing. They have the small trailerable sailboats like 20 footers and they take them to lakes all over the country or oceans or wherever. Yeah. I got fascinated once there's a boat called the McGregor, which is a 24, 26 footer. I've been on one. Yeah. And it's a sailboat, but it's also got, you know, a 50 horsepower Honda outboard on the back. And, you know, again, if you only have a weekend and you want to make, you know, a hundred miles on the water, you can actually, you know, speed it up to, you can water ski behind the thing. <laughs> As you know, I've told you before, you know, my bucket list, my my end goal in life is to buy a sailboat and to do the blue ocean over to Spain from the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And I'll accomplish that when I uh, get a few more of the <laughs> few more holidays out of the chat. <laughs> I'll be ready to join you, Jay. That's on my bucket list as well. We'll do the podcast on the water. There we go. I, that's a good that's a good target. All right. Excellent, Jay. Thanks again. Thanks for sharing this. Look forward to seeing you at some upcoming channel events. And I know I'll see you on LinkedIn on a daily basis. All right. Take care. All right. You too. Thanks a lot. All right, guys. What a great way to kick off the year. Thank you, Jay, both for sharing your insights with the Channel Journeys audience and for getting them out on your blog at 4 a.m. before our recording. That was awesome. Well, guys, all of Jay's projections of what he sees coming in the channel are really important for us as channel pros. And I think the concept of becoming ecosystem managers is probably one of the most important. And I love his idea of creating community managers who are acting like many channel chiefs for groupings of partner types. I can imagine having a manager for our ISV community, another for our influencers, 
We could have another for our tech alliances. That's a great idea. Well, you can find show notes and links for this episode at channeljourneys.com backslash CJ43. And be sure to subscribe to Channel Journeys wherever you listen to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. Coming up on our next episode is a conversation with Anne McClellan. She is the VP of As a Service Channel Optimization at TSIA. And she is focusing on best channel practices as vendors evolve from traditional on-prem to as-a-service business models. It's going to be a great episode. I'll see you there. And until then, have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends. And be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.